Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica, and today we have a special episode for you. We're going to go over the federal budget with Dr. Lindsay Teds. Hello, Dr. Teds. Hello, Erica. So Dr. Lindsay Teds is a scientific director of the Fiscal and Economic Policy Program at the School of Public Policy and an associate professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Calgary, my alma mater. And Lindsay is a specialist in applied economic research and policy analysis with a particular focus on the design and implementation of tax policy. Dr. Ted's is also, has also been appointed by Finance Minister Christopher Freeland to an 18-member task force on women and the economy. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Yes. So I'm going, before we get into the federal budget, I <laughs> saw Western Standard and then your whole like username made sense. So the Western Standard um, article was published about a month ago, March 9th, 2021. And it says, feds appoint Calgary economist who has vulgarly tweeted about men as feminist advisor. A University of Calgary economist who has made vulgar tweets about men has been appointed as a feminist finance man advisor as a feminist advisor to the federal finance department. The department refused to comment on the appointment of Lindsay Ted's, an associate professor, yada, yada, yada. Ah, this is my favorite. Ted's has published profane tweets about men and their horseshit and ridiculed male legislators as juvenile and pathetic. Quote, there is a number of people dominate, there's a small number of people dominated by men who don't like how I communicate, end quote, wrote Ted's. Ironically, the feeling is mutual. I've learned that with such people, women like me can't win. I'm confident, I'm opinionated, I'm me, deal with it, end quote. And therein made you perfect for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm bad, I'm bitchy. So that's so let's start with um, like economics and these um, men who are upset about a woman having an opinion. And so we were talking off the mic about, you know, your journey through economics, how you came through this very conventional way of learning about economics, as I did, Um, this neoclassical model which stressed, um, you know, the market and market dominance and market dominance, especially as it comes to public policy. And as we can see from this pandemic, that is horseshit. (laughs) So um, there's been, I I think this, I've seen this, this, this generation of women and racialized economists who are challenging that viewpoint and 
because it's mostly those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and how has that affected public policy? And also, I kind of see that challenge in this budget. Mm-hmm. The idea that, no, the market is not going to fix everything. And we're not going to do this as austerity thing. We're actually going to spend more money and deal with it kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So first off, take us on your journey, and then we'll talk about that part. Well, I mean, so I, I mean, I have a very variable background. My first degree is in political science, and I graduated with a political science degree in Ontario during Ray Days. So then I went <laughs> back to university. because <laughs> like, What else do you do? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I mean, there, there were no jobs for a political scientist in, 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 in the early 90s. And there were no jobs for a lot of people. That was a, the 90s recession in Canada wasn't deep, but it was long. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, it really, it really did affect young people. Um, and so then I decided I'd taken, it was funny in my poli sci degree, I took an econ course, um, like the t- traditional intro I didn't do very well in it but I liked it (laughs) and I think that's a lot of people right you don't necessarily do well in it but you see some like because it provides a better framework like political science didn't really have a framework it was a lot of you know talking whereas economics provided some sort of a rigorous framework that that was appealing to being able to make uh, more structured comments and and what have you that's why I went into it honestly you just yeah. hit the nail on the head it provided a framework of how to see the world around you and that's why I transferred to economics I didn't see all the math coming yeah I, I know the math way. right I mean you gotta you gotta plow through the math yeah um to be able to and then and and, and that would be my whole story in econ was just getting through all of the math so that I could eventually write my dissertation. <laughs> I get- love that you said that because <laughs> economics became this like um, this sausage war of who's yeah. the better mathematician. Yeah, and yeah, yet yeah. what I found is that I'm more on the interpretive interpretative side. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what does the math mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I so, mean, we called it masturbation. Masturbation. <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Don't ever say sorry. I'm dying. I am dying. Oh my gosh. No, no. We earn our E rating here. <laughs> and what, what, what was interesting in, in my PhD was that the guys, and it was, you know, I mean, this is econ, right? So, I mean, the guys that did so well with, uh, Erica's dying laughing right now, but anyway, so the guys that did so well in the math and would be the ones, you know, during courses and comps, the ones that were so egotistical and going, oh, I'm so good at this and you suck and what have you, none of them finished their dissertation. (laughs) Wow. I, on the other hand. (laughs) Exactly. You plowed through. That's when I shone. 
um, yeah. was was finally being able to 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 do research. I mean, yeah, I think I think the math side of things is where exactly econ um, falls apart with being um, representative of a diverse population, right? That's yes. all of those, those the, the, these assumptions that go into it is where you, if you're, um, you know, if you're a woman, if you're black, if you're indigenous, you don't see yourself in the life you have experienced in that math, because we're all, you know, homogenous agents who live the two periods overlapping generation. Nobody ever talks about the fact that women are only fertile for this tiny period of life. We can't just choose any time we want to have kids. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that econ does a lot is frame, frame constrained optimization as choices. And they're not choices, you know, like it, 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 they, we talk a lot about, well, the ideal time to have a, have a kid is when you have all of these things. So, but, uh, you know, I, I have to be at least 25 for it to be socially acceptable and under 35 for my eggs not to be old and crusty. So I can't line up the, the, these ideal things. I can't necessarily wait for the right man to come along. I can't necessarily um, have, be settled in my career. I can't do all of these things. And then they'll frame that as, well, you made a bad choice. Well, no, I had to, I had, I had constrained optimization. And we also see that like suboptimal, they'll, they'll call it suboptimal. Suboptimal. It's yeah. suboptimal. It's yeah. suboptimal because <laughs> yeah, because the way you, know, you framed it was yeah okay yeah. So and, and you see that in the labor market, right? They say women choose to work fewer hours than men, and that's why they're wait. We don't choose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we ha- we have real constraints, um, and and society expects us to take on the the caregiving roles. And um, that's what leads to these sorts of things. And it, I, you know, that how, how economics sort of frames those things, I think really comes out of the, like, it starts in the math and then they just can't handle thinking about, well, what happens if we're, if, if we're like, I think uh, like optimal taxation literature, nowhere in there is a person with disability, right? Right, yeah. It, there's no, there's no accounting for what an optimal tax system looks like when we have diverse people with diverse needs, uh, diverse experiences, diverse reactions. Um, and it's, it, it is nice to see more of the empirical. Like um, back when I graduated, the theory dominated the, the industry. The industry is very much being taken over by the empiricists, which I think is great. And this is where we're seeing, you know, this the, the, the people focusing on heterogeneity and making sure that we understand, you know, like the like the the the, the olden days, it would have said, well, you know, labor supply elasticity is is statistically insignificant from zero. Therefore, we don't have to worry about X, Y and Z. Well, it's only that for a white man, um, right. uh, middle or high income. Um, whereas, you know, we're seeing out of the literature in the United States, um, particularly um, Black Americans, their labor supply elasticity is really, really high at the participation margin. Yeah. And that's why we care about all those barriers to economic participation. And uh, just and- do, 
do a bit of an explanation of labor oh, market elasticity. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know sorry. you're talking to me, but like, and I get it, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, this this is just you know how responsive you are to um changes uh, to 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 wages to wage so, changes uh, yeah to wage changes and so mm-hmm. will you how much more do you work right um right and in terms of hours right it's, it's typically in- framed well that's we, we usually frame though it does it is better framed now in terms of there's a participation hurdle so how do you get from zero to one mm-hmm hours and then what is the reaction oh, of more okay. hours and that's the intensive margin okay okay and and, and i totally work. see this graph in my head by the yeah. way <laughs> <laughs> this is when you talk about reservation wages and all all of that kind of stuff but it, it, it's really this only... is so lucky i'm enjoying this go on go on go on it's really only been more modern um empirical work yeah. that is work to disentangle gender effects, racial effects, participation margins, um, uh, intensive margins, how people react to public policy, and more importantly, not just how people react to tax rates, but how they react to eligibility criteria within programs, which are actually an implicit tax on individuals. Um, I don't, I know of no tax economist who actually considers those eligibility criteria. Ah, we so- do. I, I have too, in terms of some of these COVID programs. And if you think about eligibility requirements as a CRA account, it's ridiculous. That's yes, a tax exactly. yes. on a lot it of people. It, yeah. it, 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 and so if you're talking about participation in terms of programs too, like there is a barrier there. And I think that's your zero to one. Okay. So there has to be some sort of, um, profile or momentum or something like that that will push you into the labor market yes and once you're there yeah then, and once you're there then, 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 then the elasticity yeah well <laughs> quote, unquote, we easier. know better <laughs> yeah we know better yeah, yeah um but the, the, the participation the participation margin is something that i've been focusing a lot on because the, the older economists older male economists will frame that as an equity issue, not an efficiency issue. And so economists shouldn't pay any attention to it because economists shouldn't care about equity. It's an efficiency Which I have issue. always had a problem with, I know. Well, by this, the way. This is men, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. Because they assume their, 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 their preference function, their utility function matches everybody else's. Yeah. Um, whereas, or you know, Everybody mine, else should match theirs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so, but this is, you know, when we talk about inclusive growth versus trickle down economics, to me, this really kind of gets at the heart of it. Trickle down economics is the the system is fine and we'll just redistribute the spoils. Yeah. It's like the system is not fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it, and then they're like, where did all this income inequality come from? from. And you're just like, you designed it that way. Yeah, but they'll and the, but they'll just say we don't have to deal with it because that's equity. You know, um, we'll just redistribute this. But but if you even think of if you spend like just just a moment to read that first chapter in any econ one hundred and one book, which is mm-hmm. about the production function, right? Yeah. And what are the the core assumptions? You got labor force, you got land, um, entrepreneurship, and capital. Well, I mean. 
you don't have to read very much literature from the United States about redlining um, communities as well as how um, gerrymandering has affected politics to know that there's not, there wasn't an equal chance to get land by black Americans, right? There wasn't an equal opportunity to acquire human capital. They face barriers in the acquisition of, of entrepreneurship because of, of, of racial bias, right? They can't get Financing. the then cap. They can't, mm -hmm. their, their products aren't of interest because they don't serve the white man. Right. All of this kind of stuff. And it's, and, it, and I, I, that I've, because teaching in a policy school, which I have for most of my academic career, I get to teach Econ 101. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been the biggest thing that has affected my challenging of the neoclassical model um, in that I have to teach it. And every year I teach it, I see something new mm -hmm. and I see a new experience in there that tells me this whole thing, it's not an efficient outcome. Right. And that's, that's, that's how I, I get to, to talk about how we need to break down those barriers so we can actually get to an efficient outcome. This isn't about equity. I mean, it is about equity, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But fundamentally here, what we have to do is make sure that those who are the gatekeepers of the discipline understand that this is in fact about the core aspect of economics, mm -hmm. which is efficiency. And, and yeah. that, that, that has been that long story short, that's my journey through economics yeah. is, is, you know, slowly sort of being able to pick away at what, what are the unstated assumptions that then allow that efficiency assumption to completely break down when you are not part of the dominant power class. Right. Because economics really is a study of that, of that dominant power class. Yeah. It just assumes, like, it takes that power class and assumes it as a normality or it normalizes that for the rest of us. Correct. And I'm saying this because the influence of economics in public policy is huge, huge. right? Huge. Yeah. And it's such an insular and, you know, I, I was saying that it was, it's filled with isms and obias, Islamophobia to racism, sexism, and it's dominated by these white, old white men. Mm -hmm. I think that the saying is economics advances at the... <laughs> at the pace of each obituary. Oh, I've was... heard that before. It's yeah. true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so these accepted principles are really um, rejected by the gatekeepers who in their own way benefit from that trickle-down economic theory. Correct. And so, you know, I, I wrote in the Hill Times this week, I said that this, this neoclassical or this that has then really birthed neoliberalism in terms of a political ideology mm -hmm. is responsible mm -hmm. for the equity gaps yeah. that we see today. Yeah. It is it is Western nations following this this 
this magical rain of money, okay, that's supposed to trickle down from the rest of us. I don't know if they thought it was going to be a largesse from 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 companies or I, I don't know what they were thinking. But the point is, is that the Milton Friedman kind of basis for economics has produced this. Yes. And, yeah. you know, there's nothing that will tear a society apart than, you know, let them eat cake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> but the point is, is that that's why the French Revolution happened. It's this mm-hmm. immense income inequality and wealth inequality to the point where the rich were extremely rich and the poor were starving. And granted, we're not there yet, but we're going there. And I think it's really interesting because today Biden unveiled his tax policy. I haven't had a look at the whole thing yet. All I've seen are highlights, which are, you know, he's basically raising the taxes on the wealthiest. Uh, I think it's only like two percentage points or something it did, like Ooh. on on the on on like your next 10 million like you know what i mean next it's, 10 million yeah it's I not that like it's not that <laughs> and na- so naturally people are losing their minds but capital gains and you know i i do want to talk about ubi on a different podcast which is where <laughs> i will ask about capital gains and mm-hmm. and you know how best is it to tax um, wealthier individuals, there's this assumption that if you tax them, they will, <laughs> that all the business would dry up. And mm. I'm just like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. We can afford to raise taxes on corporate Canada, in yes. my opinion. Yeah, we can. We should. Yeah. So that's how we'll pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't see the problem. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, like there's one model out there where, you, and I am a tax economist. And so this yeah. burden falls on me where yeah. we need to raise 600 billion to pay for it. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on, but anyway, we'll talk about that uh, on another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that there are things that we could, we could come back from in terms of you know, a mixture of tax treatments, but yeah. that's your specialty. And I'll let you talk about that at another time. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to the budget and talk <laughs> about how, so we've heard about this she session, mm-hmm. um, women having to leave the workplace for, um, for quote unquote, traditional gender roles because of a structure that pays women less, doesn't pay women for caregiving, et cetera, et cetera. The opportunity cost of a man staying home or leaving the workplace for a family is still a lot greater than for a woman. The man makes more, he may be higher in his job. And, you know, that is why he gets to keep his job and further his career where women are leaving the workplace to take care of children, to take care of home, because everything is just mixed together right now. Yeah. So how well do you think the budget addresses that reality? Well, so, I mean, most of that reality requires a a societal values change. Mm -hmm. And so a budget's not going to do that, but it sort of subtly does it through policy, which then eventually changes values. 
Right. Right. So, you know, I think the biggest feature in here is um, the early childhood education and, and child care plan. I, I mean, call it the Beyonce of the budget. Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay, I haven't thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah. no, that's it Beyonce. Beyonce <laughs> Everything it else is, is like Kelly and is. the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, unless you follow like the Fraser Institute. Who, oh, you know, oh, geez. <laughs> oh. Oh, yes. Speaking of white men. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, the Beyonce. Now, I have to have to admit, I mean, we we knew I mean, we were given all the signals from Ottawa for several months that this was going to be um, an important pillar. Nobody had any idea except for, you know, people writing the budget of the size of that. I can't like we're 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 ramping up to nine billion a year. Um, to support early childhood education, and this is this this isn't the the 2005 uh, Paul Martin commitment, which was five billion over five years, right? It was a billion a year. We're, we're this is this is real. This is substantial, mm-hmm. and I think it is absolutely important that it, and and it's taken me um, a few years to sort of wrap my head around this, but. Um, you know, people like myself, I, I just have one child. He broke me. Um, <laughs> uh, we're, we're in right now. He's seven. Um, we're in a hundred thousand dollars for early childhood education for him. That's what childcare has cost us. I love him to death. He's wow. worth the investment, but, but when, when we frame it in terms of, you know, oh, it's only $60 a day, or it's only, you know, upwards of $2,400 a month, which in Vancouver, Victoria, Toronto, for somebody under the age of two, it is about $2,400 a month. Per child, by the way, I just want to put this in, per Per child, child. per child. And then they wonder why, why women aren't having babies. I know it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's (laughs) not a mystery. But um, yeah, dudes, uh, when when you actually frame it to the point that it is two professional university degrees to ensure that, I mean, it's one to ensure that I am able to allocate my human capital to my least opportunity costs, which I, I, I like working. I, I don't work because I have to. I like working. Mm-hmm. Um, I like my job. I like what I do. I like being here. And I am a good caregiver, but I'm not a good caregiver when I'm doing it 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, and, and then I value, I value the care that high-quality child uh, that I am fortunate enough to be able to have afforded mm-hmm. um, how much that has contributed to the intellectual development of, of my child. Mm-hmm. Um, he's brilliant. <laughs> he's a star. <laughs> he's a superstar. I want him to be a reproductive endocrinologist. So that's why oh. I go for him. <laughs> well, because obviously we're talking about fertility. One yeah. job is not going to go away. A reproductive endocrinologist Fair. is going to have a Good long point. career. <laughs> Longer for all you kitties out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's about me. It's about the people who have that skill, um, mm-hmm. being able to employ them and make sure that they have good work. And then it's making sure that he is going to be a productive citizen mm-hmm. when like, this is your future workforce. So when people tell me that it's your child, it's your responsibility. 
Well, when, when did it stop being it takes a village to raise a child? It takes a it takes society to raise a child. And that is because that is he 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 has to be a productive adult for 80 years. Don't you think that's worth some investment from society? <laughs> well, really it is. This is my whole point is that this budget really does invest in human capital it in, does. in ways in that, ways. that yeah. I have never seen before because I worked on the 2010 to 2014 budgets. Uh, those were snoozers. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It was all mineral t- exploration tax credit. By the way, uh, I yeah, yeah, I yeah. still have to read your piece on that. <laughs> I saw that you wrote about that. And I thought it was yeah, bullshit yeah. too. Yeah, 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 it is bullshit. <laughs> and so it's funny to me how we allocate all of this tax these taxpayer dollars to these tax credits that by the way taxes are de facto government spending don't let anybody tell don't let Aaron O'Toole tell you differently um he's like there's too much there's too much spending let's do tax cuts I'm just like are you I guess I mean, they're 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 a one trick pony, right? Okay, I mean, yeah. There's, yeah. there's not much going on. Oh my there. gosh, I did say that too. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are they gonna do now? Anyway, geez, yeah. All this the lower say- lower taxes, lower spending, yeah. as though there there are like we can all point to wastage in government spending, right? Sure. I mean, it, 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 but for the most part, the money is not set on fire. I think I say yeah. this a lot on Twitter. You don't yeah. set it on fire. And one of the things we do a very bad job of is measuring the net benefits of that, of, of that spending. So this, and and I have to admit, I'm working on a grant proposal on this exact topic where we spend, we have all of this literature about the marginal cost of public funds, right? I mean, Mm. how much it costs the economy when we raise money through taxes, Yeah, but when we spend it, especially on early childhood education, for example, right, it is worth raising the corporate tax because the funding, where you're putting that funding actually has a higher net benefit. Yeah. And that's because the benefits exceed the cost of taxation. And that's what that's the kind of analysis that we need to be doing more and more of in public policy and in in government expenditures. And it, I literally it is just fact... said this on a podcast on another podcast. Oh, that's hilarious! I love no, it. I said that um, you know, like price and value are two different things. Exactly. Well, like, and, and economists usually know that. <laughs> usually know that so where this when you're talking don't tell me about cost tell you tell me about the value that net benefit which is what you're talking about that that we as a society are going to get from that spending and this idea that um efficiency above all that somehow an economy that's more efficient the most efficient is optimal really got destroyed with this pandemic because the when the pandemic came it didn't matter how efficient you were if you were leaving people out and leaving people out has deadly consequences and so you know we really it's funny you should say that because I literally just said this um that you know that net benefit of the tax dollar that you're spending Mm -hmm. the benefit of the mineral exploration tax Mm -hmm. credit exactly (laughs) The benefit of investing 
in, and if you're talking about overlapping generations models too, right? The benefit of investing in childcare is not just about motherhood and it's not not just about women. It literally is an, an investment we all are making for people in our society to have um, a playing field, a start. That's what it's trying to do is levy, and, and we know this out of the Head Start programs from mm-hmm. the United States. Yes. It's been studied up, up the yin yang. Yeah. And, you know, then, then people will say to me, oh, well, if, if most of the, the net benef- benefits accrue to lower income people, then it only makes sense that it be a means tested program. Well, the problem is, is when it's a means tested program, not a universal benefit, quality suffers. And that's and- what we're trying to get at is quality. Now, I read somewhere that means testing is actually a tax on the poor or on uh, not on the poor, but uh, on the people on the margin of that cutoff. Well, I mean, anytime you do means testing, there's going to be a steep slope somewhere. Right. And so that that. I mean, you can take a look at the um, the childcare subsidy in Alberta. As soon as you make, as soon as a household makes one more dollar over what seventy thousand, their subsidy is zero, and so they go from they go from having access to affordable um, childcare to right. what now they're even worse off because they've lost it all, but they only got one extra dollar right. of, of income. And it's that um, net, it goes back to that net benefit, doesn't it? It goes back to that net net benefit. I mean, there's, hmm. there's, re, there, there's reasons to means test. There's neat, there's reasons for universal services. And really, honestly, this intersectionality analysis is what really helps you to understand where, where, where you can play better mm-hmm. on means testing or um, on, um, on universal access. And early childhood education, universal access without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. GST, HST tax credit. That's means testing. Right, right, um, right. Because, right. you know, that you don't need to compensate me for the taxes, uh, the consumption taxes I have paid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do so happily. I, I really do. We're a household that actually happily pays taxes. And I'm training my son um, about this, mm-hmm. um, what taxes pay for and, and what have you. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to be made whole off, off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to overcome regressivity, I think that one's an interesting one. Although I have to admit, I've been doing some work in on the pink tax and consumption taxes and it really does point to the fact that women should get a higher GST HST tax credit back because we get screwed over in the market because of price discrimination. Right. Right. Market. Right. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's funny because let's go back to the efficiency because you were saying in the beginning that, you know, like there's this. E- Okay, I was taught that there was this equity efficiency trade-off. Trade-off. Yeah. And it's true. I think what you just basically said was how can you be an efficient market if you don't have equity built into that market? This is the thing. They are entangled. Yeah. They they they're not separable. They right. are entangled. Um, and it, right from right I never got from that first though. principles. By no, the- 
I didn't, I didn't get taught it either. This is, this is 20 years of self-discovery. Yeah, no, but I didn't <laughs> understand the whole equity of like, I didn't understand the efficiency equity trade-off. I never did. There's just stuff in economics that I never fully grasped. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's not because I was a bad economist. It was no. because I was just well, they'll thinking. Have, they'll have like, you believe so. <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they did. <laughs> And it's just that I'm thinking through my experience, of course, I'm thinking about it in a different, I'm like, how is this even possible? How can you not have, how can you have an efficient market that's not equitable? Yeah. And this is why we need diversity in economics and public policy. Both disciplines are highly dominated by white upper class men from mm -hmm. high socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they, they get to, they get to see public policy through their eyes. We need to see it through all of our eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so diversity isn't about, it's not, it's not a counting, counting game. It's not, it, it is a fundamental aspect of making sure that what we are doing, which in economics, we're studying society. If we don't represent society, we are not studying society. We are mm. studying our little microcosm of society. Perfectly put. So how, how much faith do you have that, here's my problem. The budget came up with some, I felt my impression of it was number one, that there was some foundation laying there. Mm-hmm. It's laying the foundation for a vision of Canada that is more inclusive, I would say. Yeah. That's what I got. The second thing is that the budget um, seems to be provided, seems to be providing money for certain measures, sure, that do that, but the mechanism is still old, if you know what I mean. Like, so for example, the 50-50 cost sharing with the, po- the, the, the provinces on childcare, I would just like to know which of those men, men, are going to say, you know what, childcare is really important, especially men who have probably made their political career off the backs of women's unpaid labor. Correct. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can. Yeah. 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 I could say a lot of things there because, you know, my I'm just province. afraid of the whole provincial. So so this is this is this is the unfortunate part. Um, of, well, I mean, I think it's important to remember the 50 50 is about the federal government coming in to the space. So it's not that the, the, the provinces have to do what they're already doing and pony up 50 percent more. That's not. What oh, commitment is. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. got to be careful of white men peddling myths in the budget. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> so you know this, what? I will remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the this is the feds coming in. So let's pretend we're currently at a hundred zero, which we're not, but essentially, um, this is then the feds coming in t- to level the playing field, so that total it will be 50-50. Now, lots of people are bringing up healthcare, and I'll just take a sidebar on that. Sure, fifty-fifty commitment is in fact still in place. Everybody forgets that twenty-five percent of the federal commitment is tax points to the provinces. If the provinces choose not to use those tax points, that's on the province, not on the federal government. Gotcha. So I'm just going to end that. They one just there. want cash. <laughs> 
they want 50% of the Canada health transfer in just cash. Yes. Well, maybe they should have read the agreement more carefully. But anyway. (laughs) I have, listen, many thoughts. Okay. Many so, thoughts, but, but yeah. the, the, the 50-50 with childcare is not about tax points. This is this is a, this is coming in now. It's up to every government after this one, which there will be changes in government to to make sure that we keep that commitment. And so, hopefully, um, this. I mean, as much as you know, we can all say bad things about this government. We, we would really like this. Early, early childhood education piece to get in into place. And, and then it can be, and as soon as you get the benefits to, I hate saying this, as soon as you get the benefits to households like mine, you cannot dismantle that service, mm-hmm. right? Because we are the voting bit. Like, yeah, yeah. We, uh, like on my household, we, every party panders to us, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Everybody's fighting for your vote for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so as, as soon as you're at, get it in place, and that's why it's important to, to acknowledge that, that one of the first milestones is to reduce um, fees by 50%. And that's to make sure that the, that it, the, the individuals immediately see the benefit and it doesn't take five years because we know there's going to be an election sometime right. in the next few years. Yeah. Um, and so they want those immediate benefits because if I go from paying $2,400 a month mm-hmm. to $1,200 a month, I'm going to feel that. Like, yes. I, I, it, You're going to see real, it immediately. Immediately. Real, yeah. tangible, um, re- real money coming and they can't take the it household, away and they can't take it away and you had better believe like i know that's not a great way to form public policy but this is how you get stability in public policy um and and that's that's why we don't want this means tested mm-hmm. because the benefit has to be broad based to ensure the that the system continues to exist i mean that there's a reason why healthcare is untouchable Right. Mm-hmm. There's when, it, when those benefits have to be in the voting base in order right. for that policy st- stability to be there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What an interesting way of putting it. Well, it, and, and again, you know, going back to, you know, when is it means tested? When is universal? This is one of the political features that you have to think about. Yeah. Real tangible benefits to yeah. a core that every party panders to, except for, I don't know, the conservatives don't seem to want the, the female vote. So. <laughs> okay, I wrote about that too. <laughs> I mean, they just go out of their way to make sure that that uh, that, that they don't want. Um, like, I'm listening vote. to Aaron O'Toole on childcare, and I'm like, "This ain't it for you, man." Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, 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 I don't know if, and you know, I, I, I personally, I, I don't understand it. Like, this is a government that, not a government, sorry, an opposition that came out with its five points or whatever the hell it was no mention of child care no mention of women no mention of the she session the conservatives continue to treat women as though we are like a boil on their bum you know what well, i mean they continue to treat us like our husbands tell us how to vote well <laughs> but <Ba-dum, ba-dum. laughs> 
But yeah, they're so they're like we're a nuisance to them. Like we're yeah, exactly. Um, It's like no, we're talking to your husband. Go talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, well, they're and and this is this is where the liberals in this budget actually did fall on their face, and they could have they could have actually addressed this. Is you know the the conservatives have always been cash rather than services, and we'll give you the cash, and then you can go out and buy it. Child care is an inefficient market. It's a broken market. It's an incomplete market. There's imperfect information. Like, I mean, you you name the market failure. Child care yeah. has it. Yeah. Cash does not solve the problem. Yeah. However, having a cash component is important because not everybody can access subsidized child care spaces. Child care spaces in rural um, Canada are really, really hard to come by. It is hard to come by child care spaces that cater to uh, children with disabilities, particularly uh, neurodiverse children. Um, and so there are st- and then you have shift workers, right? I mean, the, I mean, here in Calgary, we now have three child care centers that are, are 24 hours and also on the weekend, but that's only three. Right. I mean, Calgary is a big city. I think everybody yeah. forgets that it's a big city. Yeah, yeah it's pretty big. <laughs> Toronto, Which Toronto just has, there. Yeah. Toronto has a few as well, but it's still this issue of that you a one size, a, a one approach isn't going to do it. It needs to have a multi-pronged approach. Okay. And where, where, where the government could have really come into play to address all of these criticisms from the right is a modification of the child care expense deduction, which mm-hmm. actually does not serve. It serves households like mine. You have, you know, two earners, high income, all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Um, but it doesn't serve um, lower income households. It doesn't serve people with shift work or, 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 I mean, there's lots of places that that CCED falls apart. Mm-hmm. And had they come in with those two proposals together, they actually would have caught the the, the conservatives completely flat footed. Mm-hmm. And then you wouldn't have the Jason Kenney's and the Aaron O'Toole's talking about this as being an, an, an anti-choice kind of um, program it's not they're misunderstanding the program but yeah the liberals could have done better to make sure that that and, and bc has a program that's like that multi-pronged um mm-hmm. and that's important so does quebec but everybody forgets that quebec also has a tax credit it also ha- like it has all of these features as well i wish um i have to say i wish reporters did a better job at parsing that stuff out because all the, you know, when I hear about Quebec, it's like, oh, but it lacks, it lacks access. And I'm like, okay, so there are only so many spaces and these spaces. The other thing too, is let's not pretend that these spaces are equally distributed. They're not. Correct. We have childcare deserts. Without exactly. A yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think when we think about just policy in general, I think there's a lot of assumptions that that things are just even if you look at grocery stores those aren't just equally distributed like oh no (laughs) like I I I just it's just like you're saying uh, you know maybe in rural in the rural parts um uh cash or tax credit or whatever would be more equitable for them um instead of you know the spaces themselves or the government putting in something there yeah um so from 
from uh, child care. So how are we, how is this looking to roll out? What can we expect? As much as you know, you don't so, know. <laughs> well, I mean, you're like, I have no idea. I have no idea. So, I mean, um, um, Justin Trudeau uh, has come out, explicitly said, if the provinces don't, don't actually come to the table and actually meet the criteria, because this, this is serious for the federal government in the right. sense that, no, we're not just going to transfer, you know, three billion for you to do whatever you want with. Yeah, this is this is this is this is to go to reducing fees for the parents first and foremost, and then we're going to build out spaces and all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, if if a province like mine, Alberta, um, won't sign on to that, then they don't get the money, mm-hmm. and parents are going to be pretty pissed. I mean, Jason Kenney's already pulling incredibly low and incredibly low amongst women you take away that kind of benefit again um that's the nail in his coffin yeah i truly believe that um that first of all i you know i i think cal cal not calgarians but albertans are way more um practical than people give a I, I was going to say us because I actually grew up in Alberta and um, uh, yeah, I will say us give us credit for. Okay. By the way, as a side note, so I was in Calgary all winter for like seven or eight months. Okay. By the way, I don't remember a better winter in Calgary. I really don't. This was don't. a good winter. This was, was a good winter. Great and none winter. of us could leave the house, right? Yeah. <laughs> This this was the best winter we've had because this was our third winter. The first mm-hmm. the first two were were a little hard on the on the on the people who had just come from Victoria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh my god! It was like minus forty three. Like the day we arrived was my, like we got off the plane um, and it was minus. It was Christmas Day of twenty. Oh, I'm sorry. Eighteen. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was minus forty three, and we were like, "What have we done?" <laughs> This is awful. But yeah. anyway, it was, yeah, it was a fantastic winter. <laughs> yeah, it was. And so, you know, people would, you know, people would on the sidewalk, they're going for walks, whatever. These are people who say good morning to you in general. You're from Victoria. I get it. It's probably <laughs> like that in Victoria. You come back to Ottawa and you say hi to people like, just passing by and they literally speed up they turn their head and speed up it's like oh my god it's like oh my god somebody's talking to me what do i do what what do i do that's funny because when my dad came out to visit from 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 nova scotia he actually thought everybody here was rude he because he was just like hey 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 yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i just like it's like no auto is worse That's true. Everybody's grumpy downtown in Ottawa because they're all bureaucrats. And I'm just like, but you have like a pretty good standard of living, most of you. So I don't understand what the problem. Anyway, all this to say, but then they do work for the federal government. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I am, yeah. I am sympathetic, obviously. Um, but yeah, so- Albertans are more progressive than people give them credit for. Really, um, it's just really? that the progressive yeah. voice has kind of been, um, yeah. Muted, but I, anybody who knows Alberta has seen in the last year, the progressive voice has gotten loud and big. And it really has. <laughs> it really has. And it's really impressive 
because I, I feel like the progressive voice is kind of on the same wavelength now too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 It's not only that, I, I think what I, a lot of what I'm seeing in terms of Jason Kenney's popularity is that his own party hates him. And I'm just like, because he's not conservative enough. Or he's not conservative enough. He's not like, he's not progressive enough. He's I'm like, just like, I think the majority of Albertans <laughs> are more like, you're sucking. We, yeah, well, he is sucking bad. We know that the lockdowns reduce spread. We're here for them. Where are you? Hello. You know? And I honestly, I think Dr. Hinshaw is wearing a lot of that too. Well, um, you know, she is very unpopular. Yeah. I mean, she started out popular. She's very unpopular now. And that is because we are not able to separate her job from the political outcome. Yeah. And so it, it's hard to know where she is is she impartial yeah. like what yeah exactly it's yeah. hard to know where she ends and he begins and Correct. so yeah but then yeah. whatever and that's bad that's really bad yeah because then yeah. you go down it happened shit. to dr henry too, too though in bc mm-hmm. she lost a lot of her credibility for the same reasons true yeah. true so you know i saw a lot of um gender-based violence stuff in this budget which i didn't expect to see um i saw uh here's my problem though their pay equity Ugh, sorry no (laughs) please (laughs) i didn't see a lot of that happening uh yeah i um I mean, we, we I know, know there's general, it's broad. It's, 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 it's general. There's so many, there's so many complications to the rash, the reasons for the, the, the pay gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no one easy fix. Societal values is the most important thing that has to change. And again, you know, having, having a budget that is actually focused on, you know, you and I, for example, um, is, 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 is part of, you know, trying to dismantle values in, in society that lead to the devaluation of women and work. I mean, I was on a, I was on um, CBC at, at noon um, uh, here, and we had an incredible number of women call in, talk about how all the men in their workplace have been called back to work and none of the women have. Oh, wow. And the rationale that they've been told is because the men have families to provide for. I mean, that's 1920s kind of thinking, right? Um, and so if you still have that, like, like no, that, that, that is just going to take a long time to overcome. Part of that is the fact that female labor force participation in Alberta has, in fact, been low. I mean, we've been riding a, a natural resource boom, well, the boom bust, yeah, <laughs> um, which has um, allowed um, some decisions, as we talked about, you know, men earn more. And, and so rather than pay $100,000 for each child for early childhood education, the mom is staying home. Um, but, you know, that that that's just going to take a long time to overcome. But what, what we are seeing since the, the, the collapse in oil prices in 2015 is more is, is more women coming into the labor force. We're earning good money. We're not just in the 
public sector. Mm-hmm. We're starting businesses like No Tomorrow. Um, and so I think that, that there's this chance for this to be the real change, um, to, 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 to change the values um, that lead to, you know, some of this, some of these things that, that result. Yeah, because I think the assumption is that the well women take time off to have children and that's why their pay is lower because they don't have a continuity in like that's what I was taught yeah Uh, naturally I've come since then to learn more and know better Mm -hmm. but um it's this it's it's always the woman's fault while she why she is not earning and it's always related to either reproductive labor or caregiving right or caregiving yeah like no there's a high discount value for caregiving yeah there is very high yeah and reproductive labor like and reproductive labor yes yes i've 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 gone the distance um and (laughs) and, and, you know i encourage any man to 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 push one of those out of 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 his features um, yeah and, and and see see what it's like and see what it feels like and what is like the breastfeed. I mean, all the, this is just a, it's a messy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to, to say, cause I, I, well, I was supposed to take a year off, but I, I, I went back after six months because like I was going insane. <laughs> <being a> mom. <laughs> it's just, it's just not, not for me. Um, but uh, you know, the, it's not like I'm off. Right. When you right. have a kid and I think and, and I have to admit, I used to use this language until I was off. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is not a vacation time. This this is hard, hard work, though, especially in the first three or four months. This is like brutal work. And you are uh, um, um, recovering from what is a very traumatic physical health experience. Right. That's the part that everybody forgets mm-hmm. is that that the, that one of the reasons why we have to have separate maternity leave and parental leave is separate from that is because women need to have the time to heal, mm-hmm. uh, recover. Uh, lots of things get ripped and torn and broke. I broke my coccyx and it took like two years. That's your tailbone. Um, it was awful. Uh, so mm. th- it, that it's important that people have, so, but we don't say the same thing about people who take medical leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And I unfortunately have also had to take many medical leaves. I've had less um, of a career impact from medical leaves than I have from a maternity leave. Interesting. And is and is that just going back to the societal values part that we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, this is this is one that's been percolating in the back of my brain. Yeah. um, Trying to sort of figure out what the difference is. But yeah, we do not penal. We there's there's nowhere near the same penalty for taking a a, a sick leave, a medical leave than there as there is for maternity leave. Interesting. So I have a question for you. In terms of women leaving the workforce, this it has been couched as um, kind of like a woman problem in a way in 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 media, which I'm just like, see, this is what happens when you all talk about women's issues, quote unquote, which I hate yeah. because they're really societal issues. Just say they are societal issues. Yeah, you know, I think from. from uh, 
from what I've read and sort of reflecting on my own experiences, a lot of it is just the stress. Um, and so, it, I mean, despite the fact that I have a lot of the privilege of being able to work from home, um, I, it's, it's stressful to, you know, he's home from school. I think this is his fifth or sixth exposure to COVID um, at school. And so no, we're isolating. No, third. Third? Huh? No, it's been more than that, sweetheart, but thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it's just... It's this. It it's the stress. Your day starts like this. There, there's bleeding of work and family and life and what have you. And in some ways, it's less stressful. Like, you know, if I have to run him to school because his bell time is seven fifty eight in the morning. Why it's not eight a.m. I don't know, but it's seven fifty eight in the morning. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I know it's awful. And so, but now because I know I'm just coming home, I can drop him off in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. a little, there's a little less stress. And then, you know, I can, I can work right to five o'clock and then go make dinner. I don't have to worry about a 40 minute commute home and how hungry is everybody going to be and all of, all of that. So the, there is a reduction in stress, but it, it, there overall it's stressing about is his school safe? And mm. I'm not convinced it is, um, is, um, is he going to be interrupting me? Um, uh, I, and that could, has a cognitive um, load on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's all that emotional labor um, that goes to just worrying. Uh, women worry. My husband doesn't worry about a goddamn thing. Um, I worry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We do. These are things that keep me up at night and I'm not sleeping anywhere near as well. Like, I mean, and, and I think that that's the toll. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all of this put together and it's just it's not that it's easier. It's just that the, it, this is so much on us. It's concentrated. It's, it's very concentrated, very focused. You know, we thought, we thought the summer it was all over, all over. And then when it hit us again in the fall, a lot, a a lot more women went, I can't do this again. I can't, I can't do this again. I need to, to, to step away. So it's not just one thing. It's, it's all of it together that, that builds. And I think, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I shouldn't say interesting. Um, I think this is going to have an impact on our longevity. And I think you're going to see Gen X women dying like men. Um, wow later on because this is this has been a huge stressor I mean I did not start out the pandemic gray I I am now almost like fully gray right yeah (laughs) I didn't you have great highlights you have great (laughs) yeah I look like I got great highlights yeah yes yeah yeah (laughs) I won't even get on the scale anymore like if I put on 50 pounds 60 pounds I don't know but it's so it's just so stressful yeah I so my question then becomes, okay, we have a structural problem. Um, part of its values, part of it is policy. So what, how can we, how can we change these structures? Like, so this is, I, I'm working on a paper that I hope will come out. Um, we're just, we've just gone through peer review and we're making revisions to it. Mm. So hopefully it'll be out within the next month or so. Um, where we actually looked at um, at labor force, and rather than just looking at employed and non-employed, as many of the men do, yeah, we were looking at hours hours worked, right, right, and so that that's where you see a big hit. 
But what we what what we're seeing, um, and this is this is solely for the case in Alberta because you have to focus somewhere. Um, and we had a big conversation about whether or not women were hit hard. It's parents who have been hit hard, but we're seeing them seeing the millennial men actually reduce their hours of work like women we've already done it like we right we work fewer hours we we've already we hit our optim like there's not there's nothing more we can optimize here this is as right. many hours as we can give up and so men um men of ki kids under the age of six particularly and so they are going to be millennials Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, uh, have actually stepped up to the plate and reduced their hours of work and are contributing more to caregiving in the home. And really? Yeah. Well, shout out to millennial well, men, I suppose. I, I know, dudes, you know, you metrosexuals out the lumbersexuals. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think they are the lumbersexuals. <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, it looks like they've really stepped up. And, mm -hmm. and th the fact that this has now gone on for a year, mm -hmm. um, this is where behavior, right, starts getting um, uh, entrenched. And so um, I, I, it, despite the fact that it is not like this is not the kind of you don't want that kind of structural change to happen under these conditions. Mm -hmm. The fact that they have sacrificed some hours at work in order to help out more around the home actually is going to help with values because they start to see how hard it is. Yeah. How do we make it easier? And how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we support, we support? It? And how do we push back against, um, I mean, the, the sort of advantage of the millennials and the Gen Z is because they're a smaller generation that eventually, I know it doesn't feel like it right now, guys, I totally understand, but eventually, right, as the boomers all die and, and well, Gen X now dies because mm. of the start of the pandemic, there, you guys are a smaller generation. And mm -hmm. so there is going to be, you know, um, eventually openings, again, assuming that, that we step away, which I have every intention to as an academic to make sure mm -hmm. that, that the young generation of academics can come in. Um, we have to push back against, um, you know, the bosses and the, 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 the eight, to, eight to five. I mean, I, one of the things that I dealt with here moving to the school was there was a, an attitude that thou shalt work 830 to 430. Yeah. Well, like I'm in academia and I, I don't know when I'm going to be creative. I mean, it is a creative art. I mean, you know, there is a lot to research that is creativity. There are days that I work 12 hours and there are days where it looks like I only work three, but what's end up happening is my brain is percolating in on stuff. So this idea that we all have to work the same kind of hours and the same time, you know, this work from home idea that, that I think is going to get entrenched quite a bit, I think is all of these things will eventually help, but it takes, I mean, this isn't, this isn't lean in. Cause like, I'm not a lean inner. It's like, fuck, I've leaned in. I'm out. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I've leaned in now. I'm tapping out. <laughs> uh, it's like, fuck, I'm done. Um, it, the, 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 you guys have to come and be there and be vocal and do all of this stuff too. Mm -hmm. And make sure that this is what we, and we, we create for, for us. Because that, like a lot of people talk about, you know, is the, uh, well, actually I asked this in my class, is the economy for us or are we for the economy? And the economy is for us. 
It's oh, not the other wow. way around. It, it's what it, it's what we make of it. Yeah. Um, and it's how we interact with it. And we have the power. We just have to understand that we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point because I think, I think a lot of the framing has been the economy is some so like, beast to feed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a beast to man. feed with unpaid labor yeah, yeah, and yeah. gig work and precarious work and so on and so forth. And, you know, bad things happen when social contract, the social contract goes to die. Like bad yeah. things happen. There's yeah. a reason it was so, you know, that it took, well, it took a long time to build, but the really the destruction of it has not been beneficial for society and and not for the economy either. Like I, I just, this, this corporate, you know, power that has grown is shaping our public policy and has been. And so it becomes up to activism to be like, wait a minute, this is not yeah. right. Although it's weird, I've never considered myself an activist, but I think yet, I'm, I'm understanding you are. More, more and more people <laughs> think that I am. Yeah. Um, but it, it, to me, it isn't activism. It's about, it, it's about getting back to sort of a real fundamental understanding of what the economy is. Well, thank you. Um, do we know uh, like what our tax base really is? Do we know the revenues that we can actually fiddle with properly? It all like it just seems to be um, focused on, you know, naturally certain taxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if we understand how the economy is constructed now. No, because a, a, a lot of what people talk about is taxing um, high earners and wealth. We're actually talking about taxing economic rents, which are super nor- super abnormal profits and it's profit taking off of the inefficiency of the economy and so you know i you know what was it last night i was watching this video of this super yacht moving through the um the 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 rivers of of netherlands to so it could get out to sea and see if it was seaworthy right Mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars for a yacht and then people tell me, well, we can't have a wealth tax because, you know, we, we it would be inefficient um, on the, uh, uh, and it would it would it would hamper um, um, entrepreneurship and all of that kind of stuff. Like, because, I'm sorry, <laughs> but but isn't that assumption? Isn't that assuming that those profits are through production? Well, See, this is my, this is my problem is that a lot of, right. And they're not, they're not, like you said, they're rent seeking activities. It's rent seeking activity. My mind is blown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you think, when you look at, you know, when we we look at, you know, like I remember when Jeff Bezos got divorced, right. And cut his half, his wealth in half. And yet he still had like what, $5 billion, like an astronomical amount of money that you cannot spend. And then everybody goes, oh, but he gives it to philanthropy. So then he gets to decide where where we should be valuing things like philanthropy is one of those ones that actually it kind, does kind of bother me because of how much control over 
um, society, um, uh, the wealthy people can have solely how with how they allocate their philanthropic dollar. Exactly. And how much more value that can be when we pool it all together and, you know, um, fun programs, fun programs. Yeah. <laughs> so that everybody can, I mean, how many philanthropic programs are out there that teach women how to code? Why don't we just teach women how to code in public school? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I know. So that the benefits can accrue more equitably. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> so tell us about the task force. Um, so for people who don't know, I've, I've served on quite a few task forces. Um, and I've actually got my, what I call a quadfecta because I've done, <laughs> I've done community-based task forces, municipal, provincial, and now federal. So oh, I can now okay. retire happy because I've, I've done it all. Yeah. It, and I've done different kinds of task force. So this is, it's eight, it's 18 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I mean, work working on the, on the budget. It, I mean, we were only just formed in like what, February or March. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was like March. Cause so, I feel I like mean, it was close to international women's day. Oh, it was international women's day. That's oh. right. That's <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, 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 I both love and hate International Women's Day, and I think most women oh, both we, love and yeah, hate it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and and so, I mean, a lot of it for the the first few meetings was was really a budget um, mm-hmm. input, and I think more just making sure that people were supportive of early childhood education as being a main feature rather than anything else. Although I, I, I was trying to push for big changes on the Canada worker benefit. I got a little change mm-hmm. in there on the Canada worker benefit, but nowhere near what it could it have been. Um, but now we we're going to move forward to bigger, bigger picture. So that what the task force was for the last two months versus what it's going to be for the next year. Those are very different things rather than focusing in on what is implementable and we, we can now sort of be more pie in the sky. But, I, you know, I'm not a, I have to admit, I'm not a big pie in the skyer. I like talking about real tangible deliverables and things that we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I find, you know, when, when we're talking about stuff that, you know, um, a lot of what, we, what is going to be the real struggle really boils down to fiscal federalism because of how little, like, I mean, if you want to make any movements on minimum wage, well, that's not federal. Um, paid sick leave could be federal, but it's better to be done at a provincial level. Like, I mean, yeah. you really get at some fundamental fiscal federalism issues here that the little political scientists in me, the, you know, my, my poli-sci econ person, I get, I get sweaty palms because I'm like, what? Should we really waste our time talking about uh, minimum wages across Canada? Because it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, all, all it's like, okay, here's the thing, you know, for federally regulated industries, I think it's really interesting. And I'll tell you why, because um, on some level, it's a signal, right? 
it's a signal. Yes. Directional. Oh, it was an important signal. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it's, but it's in, but you're right. Like the paid, um, paid sick leave and so on and so forth. We just did this on the last podcast. We talked about paid sick leave. We talked about how it should be a provincial matter. It is a provincial matter. And it is a provincial matter because (laughs) otherwise you're just doing, you're just regulating federal industries. And that's it. Correct. And um, it would have been nice. So Doug Ford, of- by the way, Doug <laughs> Ford likes to pretend oh. that he doesn't have anything to do with paid sick leave oh. and the Fed should take care of it. And oh. I'm like, you do understand that that's literally your responsibility, literally, right? Literally your responsibility. Yeah. And it's not just paid leave. It's job protected paid leave, which then reinforces Ooh, the thank you. The provincial yes. aspect of it, because yeah. the feds in their in their sickness benefit, right, is not job protected because they can't make it job protected because it's up to the provinces to make the labor market legislation to ensure that it's job protected sickly, um, and that's 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 a real downside. I mean, the, the the federal benefit is really clunky. It's meant for long term illnesses, like. Yep you know, like more than just a couple of days, right? It, 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 it is for, you know, substantial illness um, and where you are in fact, removing yourself from the labor force because very few employers, if you don't already have sick leave as an employee, right? Which I do as a, as a, as a university worker, right? Then you're, you're, you're accessing that, that, that leave plan, which means your employer is not going to be protecting your job while you're on it. Right. Right. So you're basically opting, having to opt out of the labor force um, right. in order to take care of your, your illness, which could be um, cancer. I mean, uh, it could be, you know, uh, a, 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 an MS flare up or, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, a, there's a lot of um, sickness that isn't disability. So you're kind of stuck between systems right um, and yeah no it, it this is this is for the provinces i don't think anyone has moved even bc i got a little irritated with because um this was a real opportunity and i don't think anybody has really come to the table including the feds who could have mandated um paid sick leave in federally regulated industries and they didn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's true because that would the the feds have such an important role even though their jurisdiction you know, jurisdictionally, they have a limited role. They have a really large, sig- like symbolic role in yeah. terms of setting standards for the entire country right. and for signaling, basically, yeah. uh, you know, which is, you know, going back to this budget, which is why I'm kind of of glad they're moving the way they are. But can you talk about... Um, what should we be thinking about with debt and deficits and all of that stuff? I know we, we talked about it earlier in the conversation, Yeah, but don't, you know, don't there's... set your hair on fire. That's what yeah. I will say. Okay. Man, don't yeah. set your hair on fire. It is not the 1990s anymore. And I, I was in Ottawa yeah. in, in the 1990s. Okay. So, you so know. I know I was there for program review too. I wasn't there yeah, for one. I was I'm... there for program yeah. review too. So um, program review. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, we, we have made great strides. I mean, we went from a debt to GDP ratio of what, 70, 80% down to 31%, which was, you know, um, uh, which was, was predicted to go down. 
could they have reined in spending a little bit more back? Yes, they could have, but this is rounding errors we're mm. talking about here mm. at this point in time. Mm. Um, you know, interest, like, I mean, interest rates back in the 90s, like, it, what is it right now? Like, it's less than one. <laughs> it's less than 1% we're, for sure. We're, we're, we're borrowing often at zero. You know, yes, we, we have rollovers and what have you, but, it, you know, anybody who wants to read the technical appendix and the budget that talks about how they are staggering their, their, their borrowing and their bonds and um, all of that kind of stuff, uh, they, have a, they, ha- they have a good plan in place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, interest rates are low and I'm tired. I, we talked about this since since 1995 we've been talking about ooh, interest rates can only go up it's been 25 years they have gone up in a generation <laughs> okay like you know even with even like it, I, I don't know where this magical interest rate is gonna go up i i don't know when the everybody i i can't see it going up well and if it goes up it's going up from like you know 0.5 to 0.75 yeah. to, to one. Like, I mean, it's not going to be, it's, staggered. it's going to take us a long time to get to 5%, yeah. which is the historical average. Right. Interest rates, right. We've got a long way to go. Yes. They are going to bump around because we do have a bit of overheating going on and the supply chain disruptions have led to price increases. Right. So we are going to probably see some bumping around in here, but there's nothing. I mean, even the United States is having this conversation and Larry Summers is being thrown underneath the bus because he keeps saying stupid stuff. Sorry. There's just no real sign of there being a long-term a, a real long-term concern here. Now, you know, like when I was on Power and Politics, um, uh, the dude on the panel was talking about, well, you know, we have to spend $30 billion just to service this debt. Therefore, we shouldn't have gotten into it. I'm sorry. Nobody said that in World War One or World War Two. This is the time and the place. <laughs> and yeah. this is intergenerational debt. People say, well, I don't want my child paying this off. My child benefited from this, right? He was here. He needed the support. He needed this spending. In fact, he needed more to make schools safe. So damn straight, he's going to be, he's going to help pay this off. Like, I'm There sorry. is an opportunity cost here. There is. And, and that's not... And, and again, like that is what's not being said, that there's an opportunity cost, that the societal benefits of investing in human capital will far outweigh the, the, the money that's been paid for it. As we know, a dollar today is worth less than a dollar, you know, worth less in, in the future, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, this idea that somehow we have to cl- keep a clean balance sheet and that what we're talking about is a ledger is not how the economy yeah. works. It's not how debts and deficits work. And it's and the government is not a household. The government, yes. the first, the biggest difference between a government and a household, government lives forever. Yeah. <laughs> there is no, you know, retirement plan or, or need to go into a long-term care home or any of these sorts of issues that that a household has to worry about. The yeah, it can roll over in perpetuity. It can it roll over this in perpetuity. Yeah. It doesn't have anywhere near the same cons- constraints. The same Time constraints. constraints, exactly. It doesn't. And we got to stop that comparison. Although yeah. here, Polivier has made a name for himself on that stupid comparison. Yeah, and it's a because stupid he's wrong. comparison. 
he's wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's just wrong. It's bad. It is not the right way to think. It's about as bad as people saying you should run a government like a business. <gasps> oh, well, oh. Well, look at what Doug Ford got us. Oh, right. God. This is a government is not a business. I just got triggered. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. New public management. Yeah. Know, is really you know you're going to throw economics under the bus you're going to throw public admin under the bus yeah new for sure i do is, yeah <laughs> <laughs> because they're terrible too because they are stuck in this 90s way yes, of thinking. You think yeah. about the 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 officials at the department of fine i know those men hate this budget with a passion deep in their soul austerity was the worst thing that happened to that yes. quote-unquote recovery recovery of the great recession 2008 so yeah. the 2008 recession is where we this is where the first time after recession we saw the significant labor market scarring of a young generation right we should never do that again and if we have millennial lessons yeah exactly yeah yeah the millennials ate that recession yes. and so yeah. you know if you look at who suffered most generationally. The other thing too, is that I truly believe that austerity was the beginning of Brexit. I truly oh, believe that. Yeah, pro- yeah. Well, it's so hard to know because it's uh, so, you might well, not the beginning, my accent, when I say I the beginning <laughs> is, is, is just Brexit. The- Brexit is, is hardcore racism. Yeah. I mean, yep. it really, it, that, 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 that is a lot of the reasons why, but it gave them cover it. is basically did, my yeah. point. Right. Well, and it, it, what what gave them cover was th- that how much debt the European Union, um, what you so I mean, yes, it, 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 and tied up in that is of course typical British racism. Right. I'm not trying to make an economic estrangement argument. What I'm saying is, is that it provided an environment for yeah. that to fester. Yeah. Oh, and so yeah. Yeah. and so I so you know that and that's what economics became to me it became a way i guess it's a way into political you know whatever now but it does create environments that produce certain that allow certain things to fester and to grow yeah and so you know i the great recession that recovery was trash yeah you know, it is the same knee-jerk reaction I'm seeing in Canadian media right now. We're like, the economy is already recovering. Why are we spending all this money? Yeah. And it's like, it's not recovering equally. equally. So people are going to be left behind. We already talked yeah. about the K-shape recovery, where yeah. you have IT, financial services, academia, um, yeah. public service, etc. cetera, uh, healthcare, um, and healthcare administration is yes, what I'm talking about. I'm not talking yeah. about healthcare workers. Yeah. So healthcare administration, you have this, this recovery that's, you know, your regular, you know, basic linearish slope, right? Oh yeah. 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 Those you of know, us making decisions think everything is fine. Yeah. Now <laughs> yet there's this, th- there's, there's a slope going the opposite way, descending for the more precarious work, yeah. the restaurants, yeah. the hos- hospitality, uh, tourism, where, tourism, where a lot of single mothers are. Yeah. By the way, I've also noticed that nobody talks about single motherhood in terms of public policy. Ooh, because nobody, because that's your fault if you're a single mom, right? Right. <laughs> right. And th- this is this is why economics and public policy need to embrace intersectionality. 
Yeah. Um, just just to, to, to sort of bring us bring us to that one, because if you know, like I, just before I went on power in politics, you had the three female finance ministers. And one of them said, oh, well, savings rates that are an all time high, therefore, we don't need to continue with these employment supports because clearly people don't need them. Well, it's my house that's that's saving money because we haven't been impacted and our costs are down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I really don't see the the, the child care child care workers um, in that same sort of situation. And so just 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 because the, the top line number says that that savings is increasing, it's not increasing for everybody. And in fact, when you when you take away that number, our, our households are saving so much that it is overcoming the 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 the, the asset depletion in the lower income households as they're still trying to um, manage this this pandemic. Um, and so, yeah, intersectionality and gender-based analysis has to, has to be the thing that we learned from all of this. Although, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously like the only one in the School of Public Policy in the Department of Economics that is um, doing intersectional research. Um, and 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 we're, we've we've really embraced it. Um, and we one of the things that that we did was we looked across all of the main think tanks. Um, and so you can you can point to something something like the CCPA. I mean, they 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 do yeah. they do intersectionality research. But the Fraser Institute, CD Howe, the Conference Board, the Business Council of Canada, none of these major players in public policy have even uttered the words intersectionality or gender-based analysis. The conference board should should really do better. Especially. Just consider it as the public. Like, Like hello. They at least have the big childcare report where we know the margin, the, the the marginal value of public services. But overall, there's no commitment, especially when it comes to fiscal policy. Right. Right. And it's all, and so then it's dominated by this usual lingo. And and we 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 are trying to change that. I am just one and lowly academic. <laughs> with a small staff of five. Um, but we're, we're, we've been trying to push out as much research and commentary as, as we can can on that and 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 happy to partner. And it now, is. now is the time to push. And I, I look, it's not perfect. They like, there were a lot of things missing from that budget. There was a lot more they could do. Like yeah. I get all of that. Yeah. Um, but now, now is the time to, it, you're not pushing against a string anymore. Whereas you yeah. were before. Yeah, perfect. So on that note, Thank you, Dr. Ted's for coming through. Um, you know, like I, this has been really like, I got to nerd out and then I got to like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh no, I really am a good economist thing happening. I'm going to think yeah. about that more now because yeah, yeah. you no, have given you me yeah. space in terms of how to rethink that discipline that I gave so many years to. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah so first of like we will have you back for I hope like I would like to extend the invitation to have you back to talk about universal basic income sure sure <laughs> I know I know there's nobody in Canada who knows more about it than I do right Ex- and, and I exactly. can argue it from from all perspectives I'm writing two different papers for two different organizations um, on basic income. And, you know, yeah, I think there's a lot in there to unpack. And I think people just don't understand the complexity of it. Exactly. And that's what I want to get into. Let's, let's unpack that the next time. Sure. So thank you for coming out. 
everybody. We will see you on the regular Bad and Bitchy episode coming out on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> My bitch is bad and bullshit. <laughs>